Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for an opportunity to come and open your word and hear from it together. We pray, Father, for you to speak uh, to us and that we would be listening. Father, help us to eliminate the distractions that are around us and are inside of us, and help us to hear what it is that you're going to have to say today. Father, in uh, whatever situations we find ourselves in, we know that your word will speak truth. And so, Father, I pray that you would listen, or that uh, we would listen uh, to what it is that uh, you're, you're trying to speak through today. I pray that my words are clear and that they're from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week we had a bit of conflict at our house. Um, my oldest had a tooth that needed to be pulled, and he did not want his tooth to be pulled. And so there was a nightly struggle, night after night, bargaining, trying to you know, pay a cover fee to have access to put my finger in his mouth and to wiggle his, his tooth around. He, he did not want to go through it. He's lost two teeth before and was always pleasantly surprised at how painless it was, but for some reason that has it doesn't stop him from worrying about the next one. And so we were constantly fighting with him. But I'll tell you one thing he did want. He did want the money. Right? He did want the money. He wanted the reward. In fact, there was one night that he asked for an advance payment. <laughs> he said, you can go ahead and give me the money so that you know, when you pull it out, you don't have to give me the money afterwards. But you can go ahead and give it to me now. Um, basically, my son's an American. Um, we, we want rewards, and we want good things. We don't want the bad things that we have to go through. We have goals in our minds and things that we want to accomplish, but we, uh, anything that gets in those ways, we, we just really can't handle it. We get stopped in our tracks, and it, it derails us. Um, suffering's a real thing. Suffering's a real thing and an unfortunate thing, but it is a reality for for all of us, um, and suffering is different for each person. Uh, what you may call suffering, someone on the other side of the world calls it Tuesday because it's what they go through on a daily basis. And so uh, whether it throws us for a loop or whether it's something that's just a systematic failure of, of poverty or disease or pain or something, there's, there's an issue with suffering. And this series that we're calling I Spy is, we're, we're looking through the Old Testament because the Old Testament is about Jesus and it points to Jesus. And sometimes it's hard for us to see that. And so we ask the question, what are some other aspects in our life that we have a hard time seeing Jesus? And we're going to use the Old Testament to point towards that. I think through talking with people and in counseling with people, this is probably the number one area right, where they, they look at their suffering and they ask where Jesus is. They ask how, and it, it, it's a phrase that maybe you've uttered, and, and I've uttered it at one point in my life at least, how could a loving God, and you fill in the blank, right? How could a loving God, how could, where is Jesus, where are you in this or that? And we have a hard time seeing where Jesus shows up in our suffering. And so today we're going to try to look at that and, and answer the question about why suffering happens and how we deal with it. And where we're going to look at it is in Daniel chapter 3. To set the table, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has made an edict and he's put an idol in the middle of the town in which everyone was supposed to bow down and pray to. Um, but 
there's three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who worked for Nebuchadnezzar, who refused to do so. At that time that they were all supposed to worship this idol, they refused to do it. Now, there were people who were actively trying to sabotage them, and so they quickly run to Nebuchadnezzar, and they tell him what they have done, or I guess more specifically, what they did not do. They did not bow down and worship like everything everyone else did. And so even though Nebuchadnezzar was, had hired these guys, basically, and they were serving him, and they had a good, he had a good opinion of them, his opinion has now changed because of what they refused to do. And so we pick up in chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to take a stand, and he's going to make a statement. And he makes the statement by, by the way, like the, a furnace doesn't have to be turned up seven times hotter to burn you alive, right? It does just fine the very temperature that it is. But he's going to make a statement, and so he makes it seven times hotter, so hot that the soldiers escorting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego die, and then they're thrown in, Okay. And so he's trying to make a statement. He's trying to stand up and say, this is the reality for anyone who does not do what I say. This is the reality that you will face. If you do not do anything that I say, if I tell you to bow down, you bow down. If I tell you to worship this, you worship this. If, you, if I say jump, you say how high, or this is what's going to happen. I'm going to set an example here for you. And so this is a real thing. They're thrown into this furnace that has already killed the people who are escorting them down there. Suffering is real. In fact, the Old Testament is full of it. You read through the Psalms, and they're Psalms that we call Psalms of Lamentations, and they're usually written by David, who looks at his situation, and he's just miserable. He asks God where he is, and what his plans are, and you see the anguish in his words. Suffering is evident in the life of someone like Jeremiah, who we really believe battled with, with depression because you read Lamentations and you see his outlook on life. And even though he was a prophet called by God, he had these struggles about who he was and what he was called to do, and he suffered. And I think that, obviously, the, the most stirring example of suffering in the Old Testament is Job. If you read the book of Job, and we're going to summarize it here this morning, you see suffering. Job is a man who has everything. He is wealthy, he has a great family, but it's not just that he has riches, but he has been blessed. He has been blessed immensely, and he is also righteous. In fact, he goes so far that if his, his sons threw a birthday party, just in case they sinned, so he didn't know if they sinned or not, just in case they sinned, he would go and make a sacrifice because he wanted he and his family to be blameless before God. This is how devout he was. And so we see a meeting takes place in heaven, and Satan shows up, and Satan basically tells God that the reason that Job is so faithful to him is because of his riches. And so what Satan does is he comes down, and he gets rid of it all. Not incrementally, he gets rid of it all in one day. And it's just, you know, 
acts of nature, crazy things that happen that kill his servants, that kill his family, that kill his livestock. Everything that he owns and everything that he has is gone. And we see Job just utterly just, just overcome with the reality of his situation, yet he does not. He does not turn from God. And so we, we don't know the time between the first meeting and the second, but the second meeting happens, and God is having this meeting, and Satan comes. He goes, you know, the reason that Job didn't turn from you is, yeah, I took away everything else, but you didn't let me touch him. And so then Satan goes and he inflicts sores on Job. And it says that Job is so miserable that he finds sharp rocks just to pick off the sores because they bother him so much. And his wife comes to him. And his wife, you've got to think, his wife has lost everything that Job has lost. And his wife comes to him and looks at him in the situation and says, Curse God and die. It would be better for you to do that than to continue living your life like this. And Job looks at her and refuses to do it. And then Job has three friends who show up with great intentions but terrible theology. And they show up and they come to Job and they are convinced that the reason that Job is in this situation is because of his sin. There is something that Job has done and he hasn't repented from it and so God is punishing him for that. And the majority of the book of Job are these three friends making their case and Job refuting what they're saying. Job knows that he hasn't done this. Job knows that there isn't this unrepentant sin that's in his life that's causing this, and yet his three friends are utterly convinced that this is why it is happening. And so Job goes back and forth, the friends go back and forth, and at the end, God shows up, and God criticizes the three friends for trying to convince Job that he had messed up, and he criticizes Job because Job does basically ask God if he knows what he's doing, and God says, where were you when the foundations of the world were laid? In other words, I, I think I know what I'm doing here. And so because we see in Job and in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jeremiah, and David, and all throughout the Old Testament, we see suffering. And, and folks, here's the reality of our situation. At some point, you will be thrown into the furnace. I know you lost an hour of sleep, and you came here this morning for something nice and cheerful, but here... You, you, I'm going to go find a different church. Uh, but you will be thrown into the furnace. And this is why. It's because Satan is actively against God. And because he is actively against God, he is actively against what God wants. And what God wants is a relationship with you. And he will do anything in his power to make sure that that's not a reality, which means suffering. Which means pain, means death, it means disease, it means poverty, it means joblessness, it means suffering. Satan will do whatever he can to cause you to suffer so that you don't follow God. Suffering is an unfortunate reality. And the reason that this happens is because of sin. Because Adam and Eve chose sin in the garden, it cursed the world, and because it cursed the world, the world functions in a way to cause suffering on all of us. So this morning, I hope that you know this. When you suffer, it's because it was inevitable. Everyone is thrown into the furnace at some point. The story in Daniel continue, continues. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? 
They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I don't think that the question is, why is there suffering? I don't think we, we have a hard time with the fact that there is. I think the question we have is why. And so let's try to answer why. Nebuchadnezzar looks down. He knows that these soldiers have burnt up. He knew that he'd convicted three people and sentenced three people. And yet he looks down and instead of writhing in agony, they're basically just hanging out. And it's making him mad until he notices there's a fourth person down there. There is somebody else who's appeared out of nowhere and is sitting there in the midst of the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the question is, who is this? We actually get a description of this man in Isaiah 53. We're going to not necessarily read this in order, but I'll try to keep us on track. This man's described as this in verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Let's be honest. This is not our picture of Jesus. If you want a reference, there's one hanging on the back wall. If you look at that picture, it doesn't make you want to hide your faces. It doesn't want you to it doesn't make you angry. You don't see a man of suffering. And yet the truth of the matter is this is who Jesus was. He was a man of suffering, rejected by his own people. See, Job, he was a sinner. He had messed up. It wasn't the reason for his suffering, but he had messed up. Jesus is the more perfect Job. He did not mess up. He did not err. He did not have sin. And yet he suffered daily. He suffered loss. He suffered rejection. He suffered pain. And he suffered death. In fact, Matthew 26, verse 38, gives us a picture of the suffering. Jesus goes to his disciples. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So then he goes back and going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The Son of God who is perfect, who is blameless, who is everything that we could ever hope to be, comes to his best friends. He says, guys, I just feel like dying. I am so 
utterly overwhelmed. I don't think I can go on. And then he leaves his friends and he goes to his father and he says, Father, if there's any other way. He is a man of suffering. And he is the man who sat in the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because here's the truth. You will be thrown into the furnace. But you do not have to be in there alone. You will be thrown into the flames. You will feel the heat. But you do not have to go in there by yourself. Look at Hebrews 4. 15 through 16. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace when? To help us in our time of need. Jesus is there. He is our high priest, and he is able to relate to everything that we go through. Those other parts of Isaiah 53 that we didn't read, we're going to read now. Verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punish that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush Him and cause Him to suffer. And though the Lord makes His life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercessions, for the transgressors. Here's what we have to understand. He willingly suffered so that when we suffered, we had someone to talk to. In fact, it says the Lord's will was to cause him to suffer. God willed Jesus, his only son, to suffer so that you and I could have someone to talk to, to hold on to. And so when we come to God in that moment and we get down on our knees, not because we're holy, but because we're absolutely wrecked and broken, and we throw our arms out in the air and say, God, do you understand how this feels? We have a Savior who looks at us and says, yeah, I know. Me too. And when we go to God and says, do you know how unloved I feel? It feels like everyone has left me. And we have a Savior who comes and says, I know. Me too. Do you know how much this hurts? I know. Me too. Do you know what it's like to be persecuted? I know. Me too. When we come to God broken or persecuted, sorrowful or suffering, we hear a voice telling us, I know. And there's verses that we give people in the midst of sorrow and they throw them away because they don't feel like they apply 
because they don't feel it. But the realization is that Jesus is right beside us. And so in the furnace, we can hold on to these truths. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. We can hold on to verses in Isaiah 43, verse 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, it doesn't say if. Did you catch that? It doesn't say if. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, when you walk through the fire, whenever that happens, I am with you. And it will not overcome you. You will be thrown in the furnace. But you have a God, a Savior, who's been there too. And is willing to stand alongside of you in the middle of it. Let's finish up Daniel 3 here. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So fire can do two things. Fire can destroy, or fire can refine. Fires can destroy homes, it can destroy memories, or fire is used to make things pure, to forge them into the shape that they were meant to be. So why is there suffering? Because God will make something good out of something bad. When we are put into the furnace, God wants to bring us out refined and more like Him. The question is, will you let Him? The question is, will you let Him? Because here's what we do the first time that we even feel the heat, we say, oh, we're done. I give up. I give up. That's when you get burned. What God wants us to do is in the middle of our suffering, even though the heat is raging around us, maybe it's seven times hotter than it's ever been, He wants us to sit there and see Jesus and hold on to Jesus and know that if we just hold on, when we get out, we're going to be more like Him. When we get out, we will be more like the suffering servant who came in our place. So this morning, if you are in the middle of this fire, do not bail out. Do not give up. When you get pulled out, you are going to be stronger than you ever could imagine because you will be more like Jesus than when you first went in. Your suffering may be great, but your God is greater. Your pain may be great, but Jesus is greater. Sorrow happens. It's a reality and there's nothing we can do about it. The question is, will we hold on to Jesus? Or are we allowed to be burned up?
See, when we suffer, the suffering, suffering servant walks with us and he will take our suffering and he will make us more like him. But only if you'll let him. Only if you choose to believe that he is bigger and better and greater than the furnace that you're in. And so this morning, that's really the challenge for you. The challenge is to hold on. Maybe you've looked everywhere else for Jesus in the middle of your suffering. May I ask you if you've looked right beside you? Have you looked at the cross? Because he wants to be there with you. Because God will make something better out of the mess that you're in. He is faithful and he is true. And he will do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not hopeless. That even though the things around us look bleak, we have a hope that surpasses understanding, a peace that surpasses understanding. We have you. And we know that you are making all things new. And that means that sometimes we have to go through some things in order to be made more like you. Change always hurts. And unfortunately, sometimes that change happens in the middle of circumstances that we do not want and that we did not ask for. But Father, you can use terrible things and make good out of them. In fact, you took a terrible thing, a cross, and made it the way of salvation for everyone who would come to you. And so, Father, we pray today that you would do that in our life. Father, we are dead to our sins. We're dead to our circumstance without you. And so, Father, I pray today if there's anyone here who needs that hope that they would not leave without it that you would speak truth into our hearts and let us know that you've taken care of us, that you're beside us, and that you will never let us go. That we may believe that there is not height, nor death, nor angel, nor demon, nor death, nor life, nor anything else in all of creation that can separate us from you. Thank you for being faithful and true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to sing a new song. and. Like, like we've said before, if, if you don't know it, just look at the words and see what the meaning is for your life but um, as we sing this morning know that God has taken your death he has put it somewhere else and you are free that means that you're free from suffering and that he wants to be beside you and so this morning if you don't know him I want to invite you to come forward this morning and talk to me and talk to one of our elders if you just need prayer because the furnace you're in is really really hot then we pray I'd love to pray with you here today let's be standing as we sing this morning